Hey everybody, welcome to Performance Anxiety. This week's show features founding member of the Lilacs, Ken Curson. There's some discussion about family issues, college disappointments, working with Richard Lloyd of television. We talk about the value of trade school and EPs. And then there's some bozo serendipity. And then we talk about the new EP by the Lilacs. Go to their website, pick it up, check it out on all the streaming platforms. Go to Amazon, wherever you can find it, buy it. Check them out on social media at the Lilacs. Check us out on social media. Instagram and Twitter is at Performance ANX. Facebook is Performance Anxiety. And go pick up some merch from us while you're at it at performanceanx.threadless.com. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. And enjoy Ken Curson of the Lilacs. Hey, this is Ken Curson. I'm the singer of the Lilacs from Chicago. We've got a new record, the Lilacs Endure. Uh, out now, and I'm thrilled to be talking about it on Performance Anxiety. Uh, you might get my wife in the background there a little bit, but let me make sure she's decent. She's doing a crossword puzzle. No problem. Melody, you, you want to wave to my new friend here? Mark, the, Mark this is Melody. We're, Hi. we're newlyweds, so pardon us if oh. we're a little, little gooey after one year. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. One year, huh? Yep. Oh, man. You guys got some catching up to do. I, this year, my wife and I will be 18 years. Jeez. That's a, that's when things went wrong for me. Oh, no. <laughs> First time around. So. <laughs> Don't tell me, that's when things went wrong for my parents, too, at, eight, at 18. So. <laughs> was, Ouch. Yeah. yeah. I think we're going to make it, though. So you're from New, New Jersey, New York, New Jersey area. You know, I grew up in Chicago, uh, where okay. I went to high school, and, and uh, the the bands for which I'm best known, Green and uh, the Lilacs, uh, are bo- would both consider themselves uh, Chicago based. Okay, but so I lived we'll in just New edit York that completely out. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> so you're Chicago. Anything you now. want me to re- anything you want me to repeat <laughs> or anything, I'm happy to. But uh, you know, you mentioned Mark, your 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 parents. Uh, having gotten divorced. My, my parents split up as well when I was about 14 and my mom always lived in New Jersey. So I moved to New York when I was, uh, 1993. Okay. So I was about 25 and I've lived, uh, in New York and New Jersey ever since. Okay. Okay. I was, and I was basing that off of our earlier conversation. So, uh, right. it's, uh, you said like, like in the Maplewood area. Yeah, I live oh, in cool. Maplewood. Uh, All right, yeah, so not, not, not too far from me. Yeah, yeah. You, you probably had a uh, Hurricane Floyd just about knock you out, right? That's yeah, the one that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I, now see, I uh, I was in New Jersey. All right, so let's see. I was born in Texas, moved to New Jersey, Virginia, Virginia, back to New Jersey, uh, and then I was in New Jersey from about fourth grade until I left for college, and I left for college in '91. And then that's when I went up to Rochester, New York, studied at yep. RIT for a few RIT. years. Great yep. school. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, it, I had a weird experience there. It, it wasn't ex- everything I th- – it wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. So it was, it was a very strange experience for me, um, and I wasn't prepared for it. So it kind of threw me for a loop. So oh. well, I it seems like you're, you're like a creative guy, and I, I, I yes. mean, I, I would think you'd have done – Fairly well there. Well, I went I went there in the hopes that, and maybe this is my naivete, especially at the time, uh, of of thinking it was a very open 
place for sharing ideas. And the teachers there, the professors did a great job of showing us how to do things and, and, and explaining how things work. But it was also among the students hyper competitive, huh. which I, I wasn't was, prepared for in, in, cause in, in my school, I, I was a photographer, you know, there really weren't anybody else interested in it or doing it. So I, I did it all. And so when I got up there, I was used to sharing ideas and, and telling people, you know, how I did things and what, and what we would do is we would have uh, classes in, uh, in studio work and in location work and dark room back in the dark room days. And uh, then we would have critiques for every project that we had. And you'd pick with your teacher, your, your professor, your three or four photos to put up on the wall. And then the class would critique them. I wasn't prepared for that because I took my work way too personally at the time. And then when I did find some work from a classmate that I really thought was excellent and I wanted to know how they did it, they were not open to sharing it at all. <laughs> like protect their other. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, I figured out how to do this. It, it got me an A. You got to figure out how to do it on your own. <sighs> you know, it's strange to me because the, the first part I – I think is, uh, you know, it can be unpleasant, but I think it's, it's justifiable that, you know, this, this sort of, everyone puts their stuff out there. I, I liken it to writing workshops I've been in, but the second part's just terrible. People have to be generous with their, their time, their, their, uh, praise and everything yeah. else or else what's the point. The whole point of getting people together in the same place to learn is that you, you benefit from the proximity to, to other people. If you're just, if they're just there to, to a hurt your feelings and b not not uplift your technique. What what's the point? Exactly, and part of it, honestly, like I said, was was being eighteen year old kid, always being told how awesome your stuff was, not being prepared for criticism, and the other part may have you know my naivety in, in thinking that it was going to be an open sharing of ideas, and not that you know people are competing for grades and 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 eventually for jobs. And, you know, not not really realizing that point of view when I got there. So it's I've learned a lot. I learned a lot there. I've learned a lot since then. And I mean, I'm, I did. I'm lucky enough to have been a professional photographer for a decade or more. And uh, even though I don't do it professionally now, I still like love going out and taking shots and one of the cool things about doing this show is that I've met a lot of awesome people who, when they tour around this area, they'll hit me up and say, Hey, we're going to be in at the nine 30 club, or we're going to be at this little bar. Why don't you come on? I'll give you a media pass and, and take some shots. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. If the lilacs went, uh, wind up playing at the nine 30, which is legendary. I played yes. there with green before, or, you know, when we used to come through Baltimore, it was the eight by 10 club. I don't know if you uh, remember that place. No, I don't remember that. Sort of a, a late eighties place. I remember playing there with Scruffy the cat and uh, <laughs> the neighborhoods. Oh my gosh. Uh, so yeah. Uh, great, great club. There's still uh, a lot of great I, clubs in the area too. It's, it's, it's really, really a good spot for, for, you know, mid-sized live venues. I actually really loved your photography, Mark. I, you know, I, oh, I, I had no idea that's something you pursued. I, you know, I listened to a couple of your podcasts just so I could sort of walk in understanding a little bit about your style. Right. Um, but the photography was a revelation to me. I, I think oh, uh, we'd you. be lucky to have you, have you shoot us sometime if we're wow. in the area. That, that means the world to me. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. But let's talk about you guys. Ken, you are a mem- original member of the Lilacs and 
I want to know a little bit about how you formed the band. I mean, because you were in, like you mentioned, another band before that called Green. How did the Lilacs so, form, I guess? What, what was the genesis of that? So uh, I was in Green um, from literally about two weeks after I graduated high school in uh, summer of 1986 until uh, um, the very beginning of 1991. Okay. And, uh, you know, you mentioned for in your own past you struggled a little bit uh, once you got to college and it wasn't what you expected. Uh, for me, I didn't, I didn't go to college. Um, so, you know, I got to be 22 ish years old and I was really hungry to start experiencing not only what my friends had experienced uh, with college, but also, you know, I, I always felt like I had to uh, better myself, you know, on the, on the road when, when the other guys in green, um, uh, you know, we played 200, plus shows a year. We're, we're a popular band and touring around the world. But when the other guys would, would be having fun, I'd be, you know, reading Madame Bovary or trying to, <laughs> you know, literally do math textbooks just because I felt like I was falling behind all my peers, you know, uh, and uh, my, my hope and goal and ambition was to become a rock and roll star. But I realized that's a long shot in any case. And, yeah. um, so I really wanted to try college. So, um, I, I, uh, I, left green, um, you know, still loving the band, still very close to them to this day. But, uh, I, I really missed rock and roll. Um, and so I wanted to form my own band. I, I was sort of, you know, I was the bass player in green and, and it, it had uh, this legendary singer songwriter guy named Jeff Lesher, um, who, at least around the Chicago area, everybody knows and, and, uh, reveres, right. but I wanted to try my own thing. And so, um, a good friend of mine was a, a guy doing a power pop band called Material Issue. And, I'm very uh, familiar with Material Issue, yes. Great. Well, the leader of that band uh, was one of my closest friends, a guy called Jim Ellison. And he said, uh, I'll, I'll imitate his Chicago accent for you a little <laughs> bit. So he goes, oh, I got a great name for your band. You got to call yourselves the Lilacs. So I was like, <laughs> whoa, what a great name. So he named us the Lilacs. And then he was extremely generous with us when we were getting started, too. Uh, he he produced our first record, The Lilacs Love You, and uh, he even sort of you know donated the studio time. They were recording Material Issue was recording some demos for the follow up to their hit uh, first album. You know they were signed to a major label Mercury, yeah. so he take, took out all this time to produce us and donate studio time to us. Wow! Um, and and that's really why I founded The Lilacs so that, so that I could have you know my own band where I could be the singer and write most of the songs okay. and. Uh, I formed it with uh, uh, a bunch of high school friends. Our original drummer, John Packel, is one of my, my you know, closest pals my whole life. Um, in fact, when he went back to college himself, we replaced him with a different guy from my high school, Art Kim. And the other, the other guy in the Lilacs, the other songwriter and singer, is a guy called David Levinsky, who you know, was another high school friend. So I, I really wanted to be a band of brothers and not just you know, mercenaries who happen to be great at their instruments. Okay, well, that makes sense. And I can totally understand your feelings of, of falling behind since you didn't you didn't go. I, I've, right. I when I was in RIT, I ended up leaving early and not finishing my degree. Then fifteen years later, going back and finishing, uh, getting a, you know a, a bachelor of science online, which you know hasn't really helped me all that much in, in what I do <laughs> at this point. But uh, it, you know, I, I felt that same. I had that same feeling of missing out on, on yeah. and not, not having that accomplishment that people are looking for, that, that whether you need it or not, people are looking for it. 
Well, I, I admire you even for finishing because I, I never did. I matriculated at the U of Chicago and I went two years and I loved it. But uh, first of all, I couldn't afford it. Yeah. Um, and secondly, you know, by, by the time I did two years there, I was 25 years old. I was dying to get started with my life. And I just uh, basically on a whim, I drove from Chicago to New York um, to wow. become, you know, find my, find my living as a writer. Um, always intending to go back to college and finish a degree. But uh, happily, um, I've made a, a good career as a writer. And, uh, you know, I never felt the I never had the time or really felt the inclination to go finish up college. So I, I remain a college dropout to this, <laughs> <to> this day. <laughs> well, it, it, like I said, I, I think in this day and age, it's it's not always necessary. It's it's not as uh, it's not as pressing a need as it as it used to be. It doesn't it doesn't maybe it doesn't hold as much weight as it does. I think things like trade schools are so underrated at this oh, point. I agree totally. And apprenticeships, yes. and all, all kinds of ways of doing things. You know, the college degree thing, it it probably matters for your very first job, but once you've once you've had that job, everyone's interested in what you did at your last job, not how you did in college. So exactly. you know, I've I've written five books, I've written countless newspaper articles and magazine articles for the best regarded places in, in the world, you know, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Esquire, etc. Um, and no, nobody cares that, that I didn't finish college. Nobody, uh, nobody even asks, I'm sure. Yeah. So yeah. the lilacs, you were named the lilacs. You were christened the lilacs. Was there any reason, did, did Jim ever give you a reason why he liked that name or why he thought it was fitting for you guys? You know, he, he never really spelled it out, but I think what was happening is that there were a couple bands then like the Posies that you know, were kind of oh yeah, um, and and you can maybe even count Guns and Roses in in that sort of general <laughs> named after flowers uh, <laughs> mix. Um, so I I think that you know Jim was a very uh, strategic guy about the music business. This is a guy you know in Chicago the indie rock thing was to pretend you didn't care about success. So even as all these bands all around us were getting signed, Material Issue and Smashing Pumpkins and Urge Overkill, uh, Liz Fair. Even uh, amid, you know, a lot of successful bands kind of coming out of that scene, the big thing was you had to walk around Wicker Park and pretend you didn't care. So Jim was not into that at all. He was totally about his career. He had it all mapped out. He wanted to, like, drive a cool car and drive, you know, wear a cool leather jacket so people (laughs) would know what a success he was. And so, you know, when when he came up with the Lilacs, I think he was thinking – well, this is working for a lot of bands. We've got bands, you know, who are getting to be fairly big by doing that. You should do it too. I completely identify with that. I, I get it. You know, I wanted to be a success also. That hey, I mean, that makes that makes complete sense. Now, did you guys you you formed in the late '80s, but your first EP didn't come out until '91. Uh, was there a lot of just grind in there and a lot of touring? Or any any uh, was there much studio time until the the EP came out? You know, um, we we went to the studio to record our first uh, EP, and um, there was a delay. You know... memory fades you know it's, it's, it's probably 27 28 years ago so i don't remember exactly what it was but i was really in no hurry because um you know at this point like i said i was going to college and um we were 
we were, I wanted to become a really good band. So one of my frustrations with, with green when I had been in green is that we had tremendous buzz. I mean, Jeff is, is, uh, I would say after Curtis Mayfield, the greatest singer I ever knew who came from Chicago um, and one of the greatest songwriters. Um, so uh, our records were almost universally praised, um, beloved by critics. But we'd, we'd go and do these important showcases in New York or Los Angeles where some important record label was going to come see us. And we just were not a, a, a powerful live band. We were not a, you know, a, we were not a tight live band. OK. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll take whatever share of blame is mine for that. I, you know, I was not as good at bass as I probably should have been. So with the Lilacs, uh, especially since we were, we were friends first and not, you know, studio musicians or something, I really wanted to get, get good. And, uh, we practiced a lot and rehearsed a lot and I was in no real hurry to release stuff. So yeah, there was a little bit of a lag, but once we started putting stuff out, we, we started putting stuff out pretty quickly. And at that time, and, and I don't know if this is, maybe it's coming back around to this, but bands were putting out EPs at, at first. And, and I like that idea, you know, it, it, two to four songs before they came out with a full length. And, and, and I, there's a while there where it just, that wasn't happening at all. I mean, bands were just putting out album after album and it was, and it was, you know, maybe not as high quality, but, but they're just, just being pushed to put out stuff. You're so right. Now in the iTunes era, you know, it's really all about the single, but you're totally right. When, when, especially when grunge happened, there was like this real feeling you have to have like a, a depth, uh, you know, a, a really sustained album to be taken seriously. Yeah. And the Lilacs as a, as a pop band where our, our entire concept was to, to be unashamedly, um, poppy i i loved singles we we put out uh of there are four releases um three were seven inches yeah. and the you know the reason we're talking now because of the the new uh first lilacs record in 25 years that's a four song release and it's it's a perfect format for me if we had six songs that were great i would have done six if we only had two two would have been fine but at this point in my life where we're not doing this for uh, you know to try and make a living <laughs> right. I, I just want to put out the best songs we have we have four really great songs i'm really proud of them you know it was the honor of a lifetime to record with richard lloyd producing who uh, by the I'm way really thrilled this is getting out who, who by the way is a former guest on this podcast oh no kidding i i looked through yeah. the whole uh, i must have missed that episode i looked through like the last 40 yeah he was he, he was fairly early on i've, I've released 50 51 or 52 at this point. And uh, so, he, yeah, he was fairly early on. That was a weird interview. He's a weird dude. He's an exceptionally strange. Uh, <laughs> uh, I will use the pretentious phrase. He is sui generis. He is, yeah. he is one of a kind. Um, <laughs> we really enjoyed working with him and I learned a ton. But yes, a, a definitely uh, unique character. I'll, I'll give you a quick rundown of, of, of how the interview went because it, it, my interviews last anywhere from 30 minutes to like two and a half hours. So I mentioned this to him. I sent him, I gave him the uh, link to the show so he could check it out. And uh, we get on and he's, first of all, he's, I'm trying to, I like video if possible, because if we can see each other, it lessens the chances of us talking over each other. I can see when somebody's about to say something or, and vice versa. He gets on, gets on video for about 10 seconds. He goes, oh, we don't need that click. 
Just audio only. <laughs> okay, no problem. No problem. I'm I'm fine with that. I've done, when I when I had Trey Gunn on, the phone was on video, but it was in his lap the entire time. So I I got a like 90 minutes of Trey Gunn's crotch. So, <laughs> but when we, so Richard turned off the video, then we're, we're talking and we we go through his childhood um, stories about him blowing up a Chinese laundry, um, yep. all these crazy things that happened, and we get to the television era of his career and he's like i I gotta gotta go in a few minutes just let you know (laughs) okay so let's skip over television because that's pretty well documented tell me about working with matthew sweet (laughs) so it it was just it was a very strange interview we we totally bypassed his biggest band that sounds nuts to me but i i gotta tell you that if you're if you're really dying to fill it in uh fill in the gaps I'm like an addicted uh, reader of rock memoirs, and uh, his is really good. Oh, everything Um, is combustible? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really good. It goes through the stories you just mentioned, but the television stuff. And the good thing about Richard is he's – He's still pretty angry about a lot of the stuff. You know, <laughs> really sometimes is. when you you read these memoirs and you're dying to read, you know, the, the the dirty, angry stuff like you know Keith Richards just brutalizes Mick Jagger. Yes, uh, read and that one. And um, I just I just saw the Rolling Stones for the very first time on Monday, and oh, they wow. they they have such chemistry on stage. And to me, it only was enhanced by the knowledge that of how painful it's been between them at, at times. Yeah. Um, so, and that doesn't mean they're faking on stage. It means people are complicated and you know, anybody who's been, you've said you've been married 18 years, I've been divorced. You know, anybody who's had a long marriage knows that there are times you absolutely love the person and want to, you know, want to kill them at the exact same time. So, um, so what I loved about Richard's memoir is, uh, he's, he's kind of still, uh, holding the grudge against you know, Tom. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's it's really um, I, I love that. So uh, and he's crazy. he's just incredibly honest and has this unbelievable memory. So it's a shame he didn't detail that for you on he, uh, your podcast. He kind of did about not not necessarily the television years, but his memory was on full display because he told me he remembered being born. Yeah, he, he has said that in his memoir too. It just seems impossible. It to does. Me. What do I know? It's, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, I can barely remember what I did last week. So I, you know. Well, I, I will tell you about Richard Lloyd that one of the one of the reasons he agreed to produce our record. And I, I was scared to ask him, quite frankly, because his his music is so ambitious and he's such a a complex guitar player, and uh, our music is just much more straightforward and and uh, you know simple. Um, uh, so one of the reasons I was nervous to approach him is, is that I thought he would sort of look down his nose at what we're trying to do. Right. Um, but I, he and I know a lot of people in common, uh, in, you know, uh, I live in the East village and, um, sort of, he's still well loved in that scene. So the reason I believe Richard's memory is as accurate as it is, is because all these people, and I'd say, Hey, you know, Richard Lloyd, they tell me these phenomenal stories about sometime they, they met him. So later when I got to talking with him before, you know, well, well I was asking him if he wanted to produce us, I'd say, hey, you know, Joe Smith uh, said to say hi. Oh, I remember Joe. We did this. And he'd tell me the exact same thing that wow. they told me, even though to them it was a much more significant event. They were meeting the great Richard Lloyd. Yeah. To him, it was, you know, often just some kid who was his admirer. He remembered everything. So his his memory really is uh, extraordinary. He might be one of those people, and I've read books about this, that they can't forget. 
Like I think Mary Lou Henner is actually one of these people. I was just, I was just about to cite her. Yeah. You, you just mentioned she supposedly like remembers every single day of her life. Yeah, and, can, and it's a it's a it's a curse. Yeah, you can throw out any day. Like what happened May fourteenth, nineteen eighty, and she'll boom, she'll know exactly what happened. And yeah. I, God, that would that would be horrible. There, there's so many things in my life like I want the, to forget. The, the bad days, right? Yeah, like would you just be reliving the you know that's the, that time I said something really stupid to this person I love? Yeah. You'd just be reliving it over and over in a, in a loop. Yeah, exactly. I that you know a lot of people think that would be amazing. You'd never forget anything. It like I God, there's so many things I'm glad I don't remember. You know what, Mark? That there's there's analogies to to pop music there though because like a lot of the songs on the Lilacs only only did one full length album, The Lilacs Rise Above the Filth. Right. And a lot of my songs on there are about this very tough breakup I, I went through in May of 1991. And, you know, the, I, I'd say the closest thing we ever had to a hit was our, our song Hop in the Stanza about my car, a Nissan Stanza. That yes, I, I was watching the video sort of, today. a big role in the, in the breakup and you know having to play that at every lilacs gig for the next you know however many years it kind of does put it it's that same loop it's like now oh crap i got you know because now um, i i i love and admire that that person who i broke up with you know yeah. it's all good terms so you have to sort of replay these unfortunate incidents over and over and over so uh-huh. it is a little bit like uh, a memory loop I never thought of it like that. So you, you pour your heart and soul into creating this song or an, even an entire album. It connects with people. And, and now you have to relive it every, every time you're on stage because everybody yeah. wants to hear that song or the, that. Right. The track yeah, the you got to sing it with real passion, too, yeah. you know, um, or especially if it's a, you know, a heavy emotional song. Yeah, um, so, I never thought of it that way. You're mentioning that one full length and three EPs. What caused the disillusion of the the Lilacs back in what ninety two three? No, is uh, fall of ninety three at our at our very peak. We had all these you know headlining shows booked all over the Midwest. Uh, it, it's really simple. I I had to get out of Chicago. I it was time to I had I wanted to get out of music. I wanted to get out of Chicago. I wanted to get out of college. Everything. I just you know, pulled the ripcord, so to speak. I wanted okay. to move to New York and become a writer. And I felt like, God, if I don't do this, like literally right this minute, I'm never going to do it. So I packed up, uh, this crappy car that I had, this, you know, Stanza. Uh, by then it was, uh, <laughs> it was a Honda Accord, a, a terrible <laughs> manual one that, uh, you know, was like 20 years old and, uh. I uh, had about a thousand Chicago parking tickets on okay. it. So, um, <laughs> I, I packed up this, uh, I packed up this car with just, you know, literally a couple of hefty bags of clothes. Wow. Um, I asked my, my best friend to sell all my guitars back in Chicago and send me whatever he wow. got for him. And I, I drove all night to, to, uh, be with my girlfriend in New York and, uh, you know, basically never, never looked back. I've, I've lived in New York ever since. Wow. That's amazing. I, 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 I've often wondered if I would have the stones to do something like that. And I'm not at this point. No, cause I'm married. I got three teenage kids and they're all in high school and getting ready for college. And it's, there's no way I could do it. But 
I mean, not tech. I mean, I, I did it. I, li- I lived in Alabama for, for years and that's where I met my wife. All the kids were born there. And the job market where I was, was, was total trash. It was, it was, there's no opportunity. So we found a job back up here in Virginia and moved everybody back up without knowing anybody or anything. But, you know, just, just a complete change. It was still, I, I went from one sales job to another. So it was more, there was an opportunity there. It wasn't a, uh, you know what, I'm, I'm just cutting ties and I'm going and I'm pursuing this dream that I've got. So I, that's, that's, I'm very, I admire you a lot for that is what I'm trying to say. That, that's, that's amazing. Well, I so appreciate you saying that, but I don't really even know how admirable anything I did was. Um, I, I, I felt like I was suffocating. Like I, I had to do it. It was, you know, I, I don't know that I can honestly look you in the eye and I'm glad we're on video. Uh, <laughs> Because I, I don't I don't think I did anything heroic. I, th- I think I it was just like a save myself type moment. But I do want to follow up on something you said because we're on this podcast, which is that I re-listened to uh, Shit Town, um, uh, oh, yeah, which yeah. is totally set in Alabama, yeah. and I think it really is like as good as the original serial. It, it, it is such a at least as a portrait of a, a character, the, the, the main guy who's being portrayed in that podcast is so interesting. Um, yes. That, uh, <laughs> you know, um, I, I, I love Alabama and I've been there uh, many times. So that was actually a, a, a state where green was popular. So we stayed there oh, a few cool. weeks and yeah. Um, and I had a, a friend who was imprisoned in uh, near Montgomery. So I, I oh, wow. came to visit him a few times. Um, and, that that podcast uh, is is really special. So. Yeah, and and I, I've listened. I haven't honestly. I haven't finished it yet. It, it's one of those I started listening to, and then something. I don't remember what happened, and because I started listening to it recently, actually, um, yeah. I, I listened to all of Serial, and then they started the second season of that or the second storyline in it. Because you know, and then. Right. And that came up as a suggestion, and I started listening to it, and I haven't gotten all the way through it yet. But it's it's, it's very compelling, and there's even sort of a a, a twist uh, toward the end. I don't, I, I can't think of a good way to do it without spoiling it. <laughs> but if, if 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 anyone uh, is um, needing a, a break from performance anxiety, although why would you? I've, I've been enjoying <laughs> listening to it all day. So um, Thank you. I, I really recommend uh, Shit Town. I, I I think it's it's a great one. It's uh, it's definitely a, a more serious topic, and I I, I love Alabama. I you know, I lived there for eight nine years. My wife was born and raised there, and everybody that I know there my my uh, my brother graduated from the University of Alabama. Um, still have a ton of family and friends down there. There was just no work. If I mean, yeah. and it's hot as shit down there. Oh my god. Yeah, it would seem pretty inhospitable. Uh, to a certain kind of I'll, like sort of knowledge worker. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll tell you. I, in my my first sales job down there after I had you know, leaving photography, my, my wife finding out we're having our first child, and then needing a job with some insurance and all that. I I, I got a, an insurance sales job, and I was going door to door during the day trying to sell insurance. And Southeast Alabama, <laughs> who, oh, dude, Southeast Alabama, rough. who is at home during the day? <laughs> People who don't qualify for insurance. 
So <laughs> yeah, not not insurance buyers. No. So so I it was a rough job, and I would go out in my to my car, and it was maybe a fifteen to twenty foot walk from my front door to my car. And by the time I got to the, my car door, I was already sweating. It was just <laughs> so hot and humid. I was way down, way down south in, in the uh, southeast corner of, of the state, down near Dothan, uh, right off of Fort Rucker. And it was just hot. I've never, it, it's just an, it's like you, you live in a bowl of warm pea soup. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, if there's a certain type of person who really loves that and, I mean, you know, I, I, I got to put on drive-by truckers uh, oh, yeah. on a pretty regular basis. And <laughs> Love those I, guys. I really think that, uh, you know, there's no – without that heat, the exact weather you're describing, there might not be a Jason Isbell. So, um, oh, yeah. You know, or, I, I mean – And it's funny because I, I didn't even really get into the drive-by truckers until after I left the state. But listening to it, that's the sound of Alabama. That's what Alabama yeah, sounds exactly. like. exactly. It's just what it feels like. That's, that's really – well put, Mark. It is amazing. So, so all right. So the band dissolves, and you start writing. Yeah. Twenty five years go by, and you guys decide to get back together. What? How did that ha- all happen? Yeah, I want to tell you that story and share it with your listeners um, because I, I, I wish I had sort of heard this story, you know, ten years earlier than than I lived it. Um, so in 2015, uh, I got divorced after 19 years of marriage and, you know, uh, a warm, happy marriage with three great kids during, you know, probably 17 or 18 of those years. And then things just went to shit really fast. And, uh, in, in working through it first through marriage counseling and then, uh, you know, through continued counseling on my own, I started to realize that I, I had fallen into some really bad ruts, um, and, I, you know, I, tra- I took a hard look at myself and said, okay, you're not, things aren't working. My, my career, my professional life was off the charts. I had achieved all of my goals. I was the editor in chief of a newspaper in Manhattan, which, you know, to me was like the pinnacle of what I, what I came out there to do. But, uh, I'd let my personal relationships, um, atrophy. And so one of my, one of my goals was to start saying yes to things I had said no to. And also no to a few things that I had said yes to. So from time to time over the course of 20 years or so in, in New York, uh, I get asked, uh, mostly in Chicago where I'm from, but uh, you know, all over the country, hey, why don't you put the band back together and do a reunion show? Um, or, wow, it's the 15th anniversary of this. Why don't you come out and do a, uh, uh, you know, a reunion show? And I always said no, reflexively. And all of a sudden, in uh, sort of late 2016, this guy, uh, I had a reason to talk to Joe Shanahan, who runs uh, Chicago's uh, biggest and best rock club, the Cabaret Metro. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he said, uh, you know, I always love that Lilacs record. I always kept it on my my uh, table here. Um, sometimes people still ask about it. You ever think about getting back together? I said, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, so it was it was the most pathetic kind of like self-help uh you know, reaction. Stuart Smalley but kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly <laughs> like uh, Stuart Smalley. Um, and uh, it's funny to mention Smalley. that because I've been thinking about, I've been thinking about, um, yeah, well, anyway. So uh, <laughs> I, I call, I said, I said to Joe, I'm only going to do this if on two conditions. One, all the original guys want to do it. I don't want it to be, you know, Ken Curson and, you know, three schmoes who I don't really know. And right. two, 
I will only do it if we can be good. I, I, I don't want I had just recently seen Sticks and Foreigner and, you know, and they're all like pretty old. Yeah. And Sticks was awesome. They, they sounded really good. They, they sort of had a, a fake Dennis DeYoung and he was always kind of the most annoying member of that band anyway. So, oh, I agree. Um, but then Foreigner was terrible. Uh, really? Awful. Going through the motions, all the, it was all fake guys except for, um, for Mick Jones and Mick was really sort of enfeebled by that point. Um, oh, and, uh, I, I thought, you know, better to burn out than to fade away. Like if, if, if I can do this and be more like, uh, sticks or like the Rolling Stones I saw Monday night who were great, I'll do it. If it's more like, you know, the who, where they have to sort of stand in these isolation chambers and, um, or foreigner where they were just terrible. I, I don't want to do it. So right. I talked to the guys Everyone was uh, as enthusiastic for, the, for their own personal reasons. Um, you know, it fit into everyone's life. And so we got together, we practiced, we sounded pretty damn good. And then we played this show and it was amazing. It, w- it went great. The fans were great. Um, there was even a few new fans and, you know, seeing some of the That's guys, good. kids, kids in the audience was, was a treat for me. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember at that show, all three of the other lilacs had their kids there, their spouse there, and their parents there. All three of them. And, oh wow! Uh, my parents are dead. I had no spouse. My oh, kids no. didn't. My kids didn't make it. They're back in New Jersey. Oh. And I thought, oh man, the rock and roll life, you know. Yeah. But um, but that's where there's a there's a nice story. Now now I'm married again, and uh, you know my kids are really into coming to see the band when we have stuff to do. So. And my ex-wife even comes to the show sometimes. So, oh, wow. um, you know, everything's coming come around. And I think that uh, for, you know, I don't know you well enough to be giving you psychological <laughs> advice, but uh, I certainly don't know your <laughs> listeners. But I, I do think I've, I've tried really hard uh, to, to keep up, to keep saying yes to things that I had said no to. Um, and it's it's working out for me beautifully. That's, that's a great story. I, I'm so glad to hear that. It's funny. My parents have been divorced longer than they were married, and they still can't talk to each other. So it's <laughs> right. and, and for what, right? And for what reason? Oh, it, it's Who insane. wins? Yeah, exactly. They're both with different people now. They they both have their own different lives. Yeah. I tell you, I have two siblings. I have a younger brother and a younger sister, and we're all married. And the the weddings were the most awkward things on the planet. It was just trying to keep my parents separated. It was half half of the and they don't actively go and try to fight with each other but you know there's always something going on they they just can't stand to be in the same room with each other so so i'm glad to hear that it that it works out for some people sometimes that's nice you know know, it's it's interesting that you said that about your younger siblings because uh i I have three kids uh i have five now that i'm remarried but so my sort of three you know um one of them the, the middle one had her bat mitzvah right after we got divorced. And that okay. was very awkward and very tough. Oh, uh, you know, my, my ex-wife and I, I, basically she planned everything and uh, she did all the work, but, but it was very hard for us to be on the same page. But two years later, when our youngest daughter had her bat mitzvah, we were totally on the same page. We planned everything together. In fact, my, wow. my, my current wife and my ex-wife were totally in charge of everything. We all got along great. Everyone was kind to each other. Even my ex-mother-in-law sort of gave me a hug when I saw her. Wow. Um, yeah, that was a, a shocker. Um, you know, <laughs> n- 
naturally I, I checked for anthrax spores, which yeah. she might, might have placed on my shoulder. But um, uh, so far, so good. Yeah, yeah, you're and, still here. That's good. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I don't know your parents, obviously, Mark, but I, I, I really just I don't see the point. Uh, I, I just I don't see who wins. And I'm, I'm a politics guy and a strategic guy. And if there's not a winner, then you're probably the loser. Yeah, you know? that you're so right. And it's it's something we brought up to them, too. And and. It's getting better over the past Good. probably, and it's, it's taken this long, probably only two to three years it's gotten a little bit better. And they, like <laughs> I said, they've been, they've been divorced longer than they've been married, than they were married. So yeah. it, it's just insane. One thing I wanted to ask you about, and I, I say that a lot because every, every time I think of something, that's, that's apparently the phrase that comes out of my mouth. But I wanted to know. <laughs> You're like Columbo. Just one more thing. Hey, one more thing. Um, what's you were you you recording in the late eighties, early nineties, and then in twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen, what's been the what's the biggest difference that you've seen in in recording and and, and releasing music in in from the nineties to the twenty teens, I guess. Well, you know the the recording. I mean, the technology is is just. Uh, it, like every other piece of technology in every every single other way, um, it's it's uh, it's it's night and day. Um, how perfect, almost uh, annoyingly perfect, um, things can be on on Pro Tools. We were looking for these guitar sounds, and you know every single pedal, uh, guitar pedal effect that you could possibly imagine is is just you know a, a, a keyboard click away right. i remember going to all these different music stores and trying to find that exact old mxr that had the, the sound before some other company bought it oh, it was yeah. ridiculous now every pedal that's ever been invented is, is stored in you know someone's brain and every take you know on on, on what's going to be the single off this record which is called monica Um, there's this really good bass fill that uh, our bass player sort of forgot to do in the third time through the chorus. And it was like way after we had, you know, sort of put our instruments away and everything, nothing was mic'd anymore. And I'm like, oh, man, now we have to reset up. And he's like, no, I'm just going to grab it from the earlier one. I'm like, what? You can do that? Yeah. And it literally took, you know, two seconds. That would have been a, a physical splicing thing with, you know, razor blades and tape and, tape and stuff. Uh. So that that technology is is vastly improved, mostly to the good, but not always. Uh, at the, you know, we recorded in Nashville at uh, Studio 19, which had been founded by Scotty Moore, uh, you know, Elvis's right. guitar player. So this is a very legendary place to be with a lot of analog equipment. But right across the hall from us, um, you know, a hip hop artist was was recording, and wow. you know, this was the guy just sounded horrible. Like his, you know, his 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 rhymes were really inventive and his writing was excellent but like he he could he, his his meter was terrible but they they used you know the auto tune to to such yeah. uh obnoxious effect that uh, it, it to me it wasn't an improvement the, the oh, technology wow. didn't didn't help uh, as far as the releasing of of the records um 
that's that's totally new. I mean, you know, the, the, we're we're actually putting this is coming out on a physical CD, so people will be able to experience it in you know the old-fashioned way of of buying something that's and the way I do it, it. You know, even though CD is obviously that itself is is newish technology compared to the, you know uh, most of recorded music history. Right, but right. It's it's really the streaming that has has completely altered uh how you got to think about music and and the music business and music sales it's it's just a completely different world but it 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 actually kind of works with your history since a lot of your releases were singles or eps yeah we always were built around hit singles and trying to you know trying to make songs that that were popular on their own um i was just talking the other day with somebody um I don't even remember who it was now about how the industry has changed. It's it's going back to what it was in the like the the fifties where artists were just releasing singles and LPs weren't a concern. Now it's 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 kind of going back to the same. You know, people are just writing a song, recording it in you know in their house using Pro Tools to make it sound professional, and then releasing it in a week. Yep. No, it, 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 that's true. And I don't know that that's a, a great thing, but if the song's great, I'm so happy to have yeah. it. You know, um, I just, I just was hearing some live music, uh, a week and a half ago, I guess I, I was in a club in Chicago when I was visiting. Um, you know, I, I actually, uh, wrote and directed a, a short documentary that, that just came out. So we're premiering okay. it in a few cities around the country. And, uh, so my brother hosted one of these premieres in Chicago so I was back in my hometown and took my wife out to one of the one of the bars that was my old stomping grounds. We heard a really great band called Imperial Sound, where I know uh, some of the guys in it. Okay. And uh, one of their songs was so a lot of their songs actually, but this one in particular, a song called June, July, and August, was so catchy that the ability to hear it and then instantly on the way home get it on my iTunes and play it over the stereo and in the car, it sounds great over Bluetooth. To me, that's that's a big improvement over trying to remember for you know the tune to something for six weeks and hope that you'll you'll recall it the next time you see the band and then wait another six months for them to record it. Yeah. So and then there hopefully are some improvements. And then hopefully the record store carries it. Yep. Otherwise, they need some back to mail order if yep. you can remember everything. What was the atmosphere like at Studio Nineteen? I mean, that that's a a legendary place. I mean, you know, Scotty Moore. I mean. Uh, I thought the atmosphere was really great. You know, I, I, I feel like I'm sensitive to my environment and can can kind of perceive, you know, uh, the word in Hebrew is neshama, you know, the okay. the, the soul of a place. Oh, okay, um, okay. But that's that's probably BS because toward the end of our recording there, <laughs> when I was totally soaking up this experience, the guy said, yeah, it, this isn't really the, the, the same physical place as it was when Scotty Morrow did. Oh, <laughs> moves I'm uh-huh. like, oh, I thought I saw his ghost. You know? <laughs> um, so it's probably BS, but I will tell you, it's a, it's a great sounding room. I mean, the main room there, it's a very live open room, and yet it's, it's, it's covered in wood. So you get this really nice soaked, um, you know, overtone. So our, our drummer is just this unbelievably hard hitting guy. His nickname is the freight train. Oh, and, um, when you could really hear the wood of drums in a, in a room, uh, is, is very special to me. That's, that's when I, I feel like a room really makes a difference. Were the four songs on the EP all new tracks or did you go back into the, uh, old database and, and pull out some old ideas that you'd been working on? Uh, exactly half. Um, oh. so, the 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 hit Monica, their single, I should say, um, 
is is an old song that I, I wrote in 1993, and but we never had a chance to record it. Uh, another band called the Returnables uh, did record it on 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 album, and it, it became something of a signature song for them. Oh, cool. um, but the Lilacs never had a chance to record it, so I always wanted to record it, and it came out great. And then uh, we have a ballad on there called "Blue Spark" by I David Levinsky. Oh yeah, no, it's a great song. Um, and that was also from from the old days. Although we update, updated this this crazy wild keyboard player showed up at the session and we just had him go nuts on an organ solo on it. <laughs> um, and then we have two new songs. One by me called "I Saw Her First, first song I'd written in over twenty years, and one by David called "Shadow of Doubt." Um, which I think will be our next video. Um, oh, it's, cool. it's, a, it's a really visual song. In the past... You described the so- the sound of the lilacs as a, a CD remastering of organ grinder music. <laughs> Is, yeah, yeah, that's funny. Have you that, changed that's kind of what we're talking about here? That's, <laughs> yeah. It's like I like old stuff, um, you know, brought to you through uh, the wonders of modern technology. You know, like in when we play live, we play real guitars going through tube amps. Um, right. And it's oh. not because we're some sort of uh, hidebound traditionalist. It's, it's more that that's just our aesthetic. But at the same time, I want the stuff to sound really crisp. And I don't, I don't really, I don't want to present the lilacs as like a garage band with, you know, sort of self-conscious lo-fi, you know, right, I, really, right. I really want it to sound good. Yeah. I mean, that can get obnoxious anyway. Yep. So, now in the, you've also cited when, when you were, I guess in the early 90s influences on the band were the band on Bozo Circus before it went to one guy on a synthesizer, which I thought was, was a brilliant, <laughs> great response. Isaac Hayes, Curtis Mayfield, Sam and Dave, the stylistics, the ink spots, T-Rex, and Masters of the Obvious. Have you expanded on that in, in the 25 years that you haven't been really playing music? Have there been any new influences that, that have come in? Yeah, uh, tons. I, I'm a huge consumer of music, including new music. I, I'm definitely not someone who's like, well, nothing good has been recorded in 20 years. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I love tons of bands. Uh, although I will say, I, I, I remember the quote that you're referring to where I listed those. I think it was in the Chicago Tribune. Yes. Um, and I'm I'm very proud of myself at age 22 or whatever <laughs> to have gotten the, the ink spots and the stylistics. I know. I was, good on me for, for remembering those guys. Um, I, that almost hit me as hard as the bozo circus part that the comedy <laughs> side of uh, of me really really appreciated that one yeah you know i didn't realize then that bozo circus like when you're a kid growing up in chicago that's like the biggest thing in the world i didn't realize that it's basically a regional tv show that it, it, you know, if you say that to a new yorker <laughs> my 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 wife who's british um they have no idea who you're talking about when you say bozo oh so, my gosh i used to watch i used to watch it uh, i guess it was on tbs when we because we got cable <laughs> in the, I don't know, mid eighties, late eighties. And that's how, I, I mean, my dad knew Bozo from, cause I guess when they, he only had like three channels, that was one thing that was popular. I guess it was, uh, I'm trying to know. I was thinking of Wilford Brimley, but he was Ronald McDonald. Um, but he would mention it to me. Then growing up, I would watch the, uh, the one on, I guess it was TBS would play it because it was one of the things my parents would actually let me watch 
was Bozo Circus. So. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's because uh, it, it was on WGN, not TBS, and WGN oh, maybe, was an early superstation. Okay, maybe that's um, what it was, yeah. Yeah, and in an in a incredibly bizarre coincidence, so Bozo was, it, it just loomed so large. Like, you, you had, the, the, the day your kid was born, if you lived in Chicago, you'd send away for tickets because it took like seven years to get them. That's, oh my that's how popular it was. So Bozo was such a legend and an incredible coincidence. Our drummer, uh, John Valley, his his girlfriend or wife is uh, is the daughter of the guy who played Bozo. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know how that happened Whoa. or why, but it, it does come full circle. That's Bozo serendipity. That's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. I will tell you that talking about the technology and all and the, and the sound, I really do love the sound on your the older stuff and the new stuff. I mean, you, you've got a very gritty sound, uh, even on uh, the, the songs like like Pointless. Thanks so much. You know that that I, I love that song. That's that's actually my very favorite Lilac song. Um, and we've been we've been lucky to have really good producers throughout the the career of the Lilacs who have all gone on, or ha, you know had great associations in their past. So uh, the first record was produced by Jim Ellison. We already talked about him. You know, yeah. songwriter with a lot of hits. When had great success in his own bands. Then uh, Brad Wood kind of took us under his wing. Brad went on to produce uh, Liz Fair and yep. uh, hundreds of other terrific artists. And, oh, yeah. Um, he's a great musician as well. Um, and then to work with uh, Richard Lloyd, you know, who's a legend and says no to most stuff. Um, <laughs> but, you know, took this on because he, as he put it to me, he, he sort of, he smelled a, a, a Cars-like potential. And he always felt that the Cars were the co- hit commercial version that television should have been. So oh, okay. um, that, that's, that's like such an honor to me. First of all, I love the cars. Um, oh, yeah. But secondly, that, that he, you know, considered us in, in the same breath uh, um, with television and the cars is, is really meaningful to me. So we've, we've benefited from, from great leadership from our producers. And I appreciate you, you listening with such care. Oh, gosh. I, I love Pointless. It, it, it's to me. I, so I listened to it. And the first thing I thought of was that the song itself was actually a, several years ahead of its time because it starts off with an acoustic almost like like a, a i don't want to say maybe goo goo dolls but something what would become popular in the mid 90s like like an edwin mccain type of, of acoustic riff and then it just becomes like soul asylum mud honey yeah well wow that, i mean that's that's huge praise dave the the writer and singer of that song is going to going to love hearing this on the podcast so I, <laughs> I hope this makes the final edit that's oh, huge yeah. praise and you know, we used to sometimes play with this band called the the Junk Monkeys, who were from Detroit and were somehow very close friends with the Goo Goo Dolls. So that oh, was wow. right about the era when Goo Goo Dolls were. This is sort of before they had hit singles with like you know Boy Named Goo and uh, Name, but they, yeah, they were starting to have these replacements. Sound, they? Yeah, they had like exactly. They had a. I think their first hit was. Um, there you are, which sounded exactly like something from like Tim era replacements. Yeah, yeah. And um, the Lilacs definitely, you know, were on high alert when we heard them because it was like, wait a minute, this is a band that has some indie cred, but is clearly trying to write hit singles, and that's yep. that's what we were all about. So 
Uh, I can't wait for Dave to hear this podcast, actually, because he's, he's going to love hearing that about Pointless. Well, it's got a great fuzz tone on, on the guitars, and most of the music does. And back then and now, did you use vintage equipment? And I guess, you know, something brand new back then would now almost be considered vintage at this point. So. Yeah, no, even then we were using what was then vintage, uh, partly out of, uh, you know, sort of... Uh, uh, fetishizing old stuff and partly out of poverty. You know, we just used <laughs> our, our old stuff that we had. Um, so, but that, that was definitely a, a big value for us. So, so that's recorded. The guitar sounds there, but Dave's uh, uh, Les Paul custom, which, uh, you know, is a, a semi hollow body, which is a, a rare uh, Les Paul um, through oh, wow. a, you know, Fender twin amp uh, tube deluxe reverb. So, um, I, I want to tell you a little bit about that record too, since yeah. since you mentioned that song, and I love that song. Um, and that's that um, uh, we recently remastered it. So uh, I, I told you Brad Wood had produced it. Um, so I, it always bothered me that I didn't have a good uh, MP3 version of both that song, Pointless, and the other side of that record. Um, which the song is one of my songs called Have I Told You, which is the only song I ever wrote with this guy, Paul Kay. Okay. Um, we wrote it together, and he's a, he's a legendary songwriter um, out of Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, who's, you know, he's like one of those guys like Lou Reed, where he's not as famous as he should be, but tons of people who, who did get famous were influenced by him. Right. So like the Afghan Whigs have covered his songs and lots of other people. Oh, bands. wow. So, um, so Paul and I wrote this song, Have I Told You Together?, and Dave wrote his masterpiece, Pointless, and we put that out as a record, but somehow it was mastered horribly. Oh, really? And, um, and then worse than that, my MP3 version of the bad master is like even worse. Oh, so my God. for 20 plus years, I've had this like crappy version of my very favorite Lilac songs. So uh, about six months ago, I called Brad. He lives in Los Angeles now where he's making a, uh, a good living as a producer. Um, I think he's working with Liz Fair again, too, oh, speaking wow. of, you know, bands getting nice. back together. Um, and I said, hey, can you dig out the, you know, the master of that? I'm, I'm actually thinking, I got, you know, finally at age 50, I have a few bucks. So, you know, <laughs> I, I'd like to hire you to remaster this thing because it's always bothered me. And he looked and he had like every session, like, the you know, 200 sessions before it, 200 sessions after it. But somehow that day just didn't make it to digital audio tape. Oh my God. So I just, I, you know, I felt so upset about it. So he actually, as a favor to me, he, he took the record, uh, you know, the physical 45 and, you know, using some pro tools and stuff, he beefed it up a little bit, but it wasn't that big of an improvement. Okay. And then he said to me, if you're still in touch with whoever, whatever label released that, they might have the digital audio tape too, because I always made one for me and then gave one to the label. I'm like, yeah, oh. I'm still in touch with them. So I called the, the, the guy, uh, Jason Cohen from Dead Dog Records, and he he had it. He had it like right there. And it's oh so ironic God. because he's moved like probably 15 times since then. He's, he's a rock and roll journalist, wow. a, a great one. Um, but he's lived all over the country. And I couldn't believe it. He found it in two seconds. Oh so we God. sent it to Brad. And then Brad, just as a, a, a favor to us, he's like, look, I'm, I'm an engineer and producer. I'm going to give this to LA's like best – mastering guy he does like real bands you know uh <laughs> huge bands that have platinum selling elms and i just got this back i'm telling you mark it's like 
it's like hearing a great band do our songs. It's, it's night and day. It's like I, we never sounded this powerful live or on record before. It's it's oh, really wow. uh, exciting to hear. So uh, I'm going to actually send you that when I get a. It's it's like a oh, wave wow. file now. It's like you know sixty. Um, it, 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 you know it's a giant file. I can't yeah. email, but um, I'm going to get one. Uh, and I'll email to you because uh, oh, you're a fan of that song. I'll, I'll send you Pointless. Thank you very much. I, yeah, I loved it. I, it was. It's. Uh, I think out of the earlier stuff, it's probably my favorite song. It's. It. Uh, I love I, that. I really love it, and I'm really digging the new EP. And thank it, you. What I like is that the sound has matured a bit. You still have the 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 great fuzz out tones, and but it, it's matured. You still have a. That the snarl from the earlier stuff, but it's not as I don't want to say it's not as vicious. It's just matured a bit. It's 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 like Iggy Pop with a little bit of Jeff Tweedy in there. <laughs> well, those are two great comparisons. Thank you. <laughs> I, um, I, I really I've been listening to it for several days now, and it's it's I've I'm really been enjoying it. Well, Mark, that's music players. Where can everybody find the new album? Because it, it, I'm gonna, it, it's coming out, I believe, the day I'm releasing this show. So on the 16th, where can people find the album or the EP? Yeah, I think starting August 16th, uh, the Lilacs Endure will be available on all streaming platforms. You know, so iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, um, and I also uh, we're doing a you know physical release. I I don't know if uh, you know the record store business at this point <laughs> with so many places closed. <laughs> is as efficient as it once was, but, you know, hopefully it can be ordered from, again, from Amazon. You can go to therealilacs.com or probably better yet to go to uh, Pravda Music um, and, and find it. That's our, our record label. So they, they have a successful mail order business um, and I'll, I'll get it out to you. You know, hopefully it'll be as ubiquitous as a, a small four-piece band from Chicago could make it. That's fantastic. And thank you. I, I really appreciate you taking so much time with me. And I know I've kept you a while. I really, really like the album. Thank you for the thoughtful oh. uh, questions and the and the, the real the, your your edits of these shows are good too, and, and oh, they're, they're pretty seamless. If somebody wants to come on, I, the least I can do is actually take the time to learn about what you guys do. So. Right. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 